Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. I think in the last two or three years, it's fair to say that many analysts have been uh, surprised by the speed with which the auto industry is electrifying uh, light-duty car and truck manufacturing. It wasn't that long ago, I remember interviewing experts who were talking about, well, maybe we would hit the inflection point in sales in the late 2020s, but you know, may, probably the early 2030s. And here we are in 2022, and we're already past the inflection point in most markets around the world. I mean, major markets like like China and, and uh, Europe and the U.S. and, and Canada. Uh, but the, the the next question is, what about medium-duty trucks? What about heavy-duty trucks? Even though these, these vehicles make up a smaller portion, a smaller percentage of each country's national auto fleet, they contribute far more uh, than that percentage in their contribution to national greenhouse gas emissions. And they also, uh, same can be said for fuel consumption. So are they going to, or when are they going to switch to alternate fuels and electric and fuel cell electric are the, the two, you know, sort of uh, favorite technologies at this point. So I'm going to talk to Matteo Muratori, who is a senior engineer at the National Renewable Energy Labs Center for Integrated Mobility Services. And he's the co-author of Decarbonizing Medium and Heavy Duty On-Road Vehicles, Zero Emission Vehicles Cost Analysis. And he joins us from Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the interview, Matteo. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm fascinated by it. I mean, it's kind of a technical, nerdy subject, you know. I mean, uh, people as a rule don't pay much attention to the, you know, the, the vans that deliver the goods. You know, when Amazon pulls up to deliver my Amazon, uh, latest Amazon, I, I hate to I, I confess I have a bit of an Amazon uh, a fetish uh, or addiction. Uh, so when the don't we all? Pull, yeah, especially during the pandemic, right? But uh, you know, these days, uh, when, uh, or every day when the the van comes, I don't put any thought into it. You know, uh, what kind of GHG emissions it's generating, how much fuel it's consuming. Same thing when I see big trucks. You know, maybe I think about when they they belch. You know, they're diesel engines, so they belch black smoke. I I think maybe a little bit about the GHGs. But this is a, you know, if we're going to A, reduce emissions and B, get off uh, crude oil, this is really critical, this sector. So you've done this study, you and a, a number of your colleagues from the, the lab. Uh, why don't you give us just a, a brief overview, if you wouldn't mind? Absolutely. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And, and as you were saying, you know, medium and heavy duty vehicles, these are the delivery van, the buses, the, the, the trucks that, that ride on our uh, on our roadways, 
around 5% of vehicles on the road. So it's a very small uh, fraction of the overall fleet, but they do emit 20 plus percent of our emissions. And especially they emit pollutants in uh, areas that are usually disadvantaged and are more affected by those pollutants. So it's not just the greenhouse gases, but it's also those those harmful pollutants that, that kill people. Um, and so we, we really took a, a, a deep dive into what is the opportunity space that we see for what we call zero emission vehicles. Those are battery electric vehicles or hydrogen fuel cell vehicles that they really do not have a tailpipe, right? They don't emit anything where, where you drive the vehicle themselves. Um, what we have seen is that, you know, probably history here is repeating itself a little bit. As you were saying earlier, for, for cars, just a few years ago, you know, electric vehicles were seen as this sort of fancy fancy toy for the rich, right? When when the first Tesla came out, maybe maybe over a decade ago, it was it was a very it was seen as a very niche market. Medium and heavy duty vehicle are are then going the same process now. You know, there are a few vehicles commercially available, but you still don't see them on the road, right? It's not something that that you can you can touch with the hands. Well, what we're seeing is that that's changing very rapidly. Uh, there is there is more and more make and models that are available for purchase. There are significant investments that are being made, both from the government side to incentivize and support the adoption and build the infrastructure to, to enable use of these vehicles and produce the clean fuels like hydrogen that they that they need, as well as on the industry side to, to really make sure that these, these technologies and these solutions are available to the market. Um, what we've seen with this analysis, we, we really took a, a, an economics perspective. So we, we basically have uh, have goals for different technologies that the Department of Energy uh, regularly updates. And so we looked at, okay, what if we were to achieve the DOE goals for this technology, which is something that we have done regularly for the past decades on a number of technologies. And actually we have seeded, we have exceeded those goals on technologies like wind and solar and batteries in the past. Um, and so we, we, we looked at, you know, if we were to achieve these goals over the next decades or so, what would that mean for medium and heavy duty vehicles? And what we see is that battery electric and, and again, hydrogen fuel cells for these zero emission vehicles can reach total cost of driving parity with conventional diesel vehicles. That means that when you consider the money that you have to spend to buy the vehicle and the money that you have to spend to fuel and maintain the vehicle over, over, over its operating life, well, the two technologies will cost the same. It will not make a difference to, for, from an economic perspective to buy, a, to buy a zero emission versus buying a diesel vehicle. And, and one of our uh, main thinking here is that there are a lot of decisions that go into which vehicle a private uh, citizen buys, right? You know, you might you might prefer a brand or you might, you might have a lot of different factors that drive those decisions. When it comes to fleets and commercial vehicles, really economics is the key big driver of, of vehicle adoptions, you know? And so once these vehicles achieves that cost parity, it reached that tipping point, we really... Uh, project that the market is going to take off and that these vehicles are going to become successful very quickly and and, and really start replacing those uh, those polluting diesel uh, diesel vehicles over time. Now, I want to talk to you about the specific conclusions. You know, some of the some of the the data, some of the conclusions that you reached in the in the report. But before we get there, I wanted the two issues that I want to key in on here, and these come from in part. My interviews with the many, 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 you know, electric vehicle, the, the light duty passenger EV experts that I've interviewed over the years. So here's the first one. I think it's fair to say 
that even though economics may drive adoption in the medium and heavy duty uh, side of this business because of uh, fleets, as you say, there's a, a variable, we'll call it, value that we, it's very difficult to quantify. Uh, and I'll explain it like this. I was interviewing, or no, sorry, I was listening to a podcast in which Ford CEO Jim Farley was being interviewed. And he said the number one reason why uh, consumers are so excited about the, the F-150 Lightning, the electric truck, is the fact that they can plug it into their, they wire it into their, into their house. And if the power goes out, they can, they can power their house for three days. Now, how do you quantify that in terms of economics? Very difficult, but it's a value to to drivers, and you can find other value. For instance, acceleration and torque. You know, if you're a car if you're a car enthusiast and you like that, you know, like a sports car, you know, you can have a you can have a Tesla sedan that beats a Corvette. Or in China, the fact that the electric vehicles are being built like you know uh, rolling iPhones. They've got all the tech connectivity and things that you do you simply don't find in ICE vehicles. That's a value. Difficult to, to quantify it. And I'm wondering if there aren't values for heavy-duty uh, and medium-duty vehicles that are not economic, but that may yet spur faster adoption than you calculated in your report. And I'm thinking of things like, you know, clean or 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 torque it's easy you know yep. when you're taking off from a from a stoplight in a diesel truck and you're in first gear and it's jerking and it you know hurts your back and you know it's not very comfortable whereas with an electric vehicle the torque comes on it's very easy and it's very smooth and drivers like it a lot better so sorry for my long-winded introduction to this question but is there that kind of value here that doesn't get accounted for in economics that might speed up adoption Absolutely. You brought up two really interesting points. Uh, and in this study, we didn't look at additional value streams, right? We, it's, it's, a, it's a financial, basically, cost analysis. But there are two things that we keep hearing for uh, for, uh, for zero emission vehicle that, that could add additional value. One, and, and you mentioned both of them, uh, one is being clean. And, and with companies really putting out their pledges and really starting to care about their impact uh, and, and the impact of their operations, this is a major advantage, right? This is some of the practical things that companies can do to reduce their emissions, right? They can they can buy a clean technology and that, and that that's, a, that's a high value for, for their stakeholders, for their shareholders, for their employees, and, and frankly, for everyone who happens to live around wherever those vehicles are operated, right? Again, especially think, think of it around sports, for example, with heavy, heavy traffic and really poor air quality. The second one is acceleration. And, and when, when we talk about acceleration uh, for, for these commercial vehicles, uh, it, it's a little bit different than just the fun driving experience that you have with the, with the passenger car, which, which which is true. But, but for this vehicle, really acceleration translates to important things. Uh, one is safety. Right, it's it's a lot more safe to to drive an electric vehicle that can merge into the highway traffic more smoothly and doesn't cause delays and, and often accidents. Right, so 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 it's really a, a key feature. And the second one is the driver's response. There have been a number of studies. One came out of NACFI, uh, the the um, 
uh, North America uh, Association for um, North America Council for Freight Efficiency, sorry. Uh, and uh, they were basically showing all this really positive feedback from drivers on driving these vehicles. And driver retention is one of the biggest challenges in the industry. And so basically happy drivers means, you know, better better operation for your company. Um, so so those are two key important aspects, you know, the safety, the, the, the driver retention and the clean, uh, the cleanness of these vehicles that they really uh, provide additional advantages. We also should not forget that, like you were saying, for light-duty vehicles, you can power loads off of, of electric vehicles. Like maybe you can power your refrigerator or, or your Wi-Fi while while there is a brownout, which is high high value and even hard to quantify how valuable that is. You know, if you have a very important meeting, that's a very high value. Similarly, these vehicles have the same opportunity, right? They could power critical operation. They could help support the grid. Uh, think of applications, for example, like school buses that are parked for very extensive period of times so overnight and often during the summer, those are essentially resources and assets that can help us, you know, better operate the grid, improve resiliency and reduce cost for all consumers, not just for the fleet who owns those, those vehicles and produce additional value streams for the owners of the vehicles as well. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because when you think of light duty vehicles, like if, if you know, if, if everybody in your neighborhood had a, a an electric car in the garage or maybe two, uh, depending on your vehicle, in my neighborhood, you might get one, but you probably not get two. But let's say that they did that. Integrating all of those small uh, EV batteries uh, into the grid seems to me to be a bigger technical challenge because now you've got to upgrade your neighborhood grid and you've got to have vehicle vehicle to grid integration wire you know built in there's got to be software all of that but if you've got a commercial yard like a, a you know like a, a, a fleet center uh where you have purpose-built uh um, infrastructure and it's more heavy duty it seems to me that the a you have bigger batteries for starters and two uh, when they're available, it's easier to design that infrastructure to facilitate vehicle to grid integration than it might be in a neighborhood. Now, I, don't, I don't know if you looked at that, and and I'm and I may be wrong actually on that. Uh, it just seems it's an observation. Let's put it that way. No, it's it, it's a good thought. And and what's happening with the grid is that the grid traditionally uh, has been operated with with a small number of central big assets, our our power plants that then supply power to a large number of consumers that are usually pretty passive, right? You 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 get electricity, you consume it, but you're not really part of any any control or management loop. Things are changing and are evolving, right? And and again, technology is enabling a lot of this with better communications, better control. That they really enable now is prosumers, like you are producing energy on top of consuming, and you are part of the system. You you play an active role. Uh, of, of course, you know all EVs can play an active role in this, uh, but there remain a challenge in having a system that was designed for a few large uh, assets uh, to now start to integrate in hundreds of millions of assets. And you think about light duty vehicles; there are about two hundred and eighty million of those on the road in the U.S. So, so it's a very different scale. It's a very complicated problem. Uh, so, so of course, leveraging bigger uh, assets like a, a yard where you might be parking, you know, ten to to a hundred vehicles overnight, uh, surely helps in that regard. And and it is a very significant resource for the grid, right? It's something. It, it's you know the the energy that can be stored in those batteries is very is very significant. 
Now, I want to get on to another question, which is different business models that might facilitate faster than expected adoption. And this question comes out of an interview I did with a company down in California. They're a startup, and I, forgive me for forgetting their name, uh, but uh, they offer uh, commercial trucks as a service. So they will go to a, a fleet manager and say, we will give you, we will sell you or lease you, I guess, or uh, no, that's not even right now that I think about it. It's actually, uh, we will give you a turnkey package that gives you the driver, the truck, the charging infrastructure, all of that. And then you pay a per mile per kilometer cost. And what the uh, the CEO of the company told me is, is that uh, the the fleet managers are eager to switch to electric. They're they're very keen to do that. They're but they're also keenly aware of costs. And when you take commercial trucks as a service compared to the uh, total cost of of ownership with a diesel truck, it's actually now cost competitive. And they're very close if they aren't co competitive already. And so that leads me to think, and and he, and he said, they're getting a lot of interest. Uh, we'll see if whether that business model actually pans out or not. The fact that there's a lot of interest in it doesn't mean it's going to make, you know, the economics will make sense or they do a good job running their business. But let's just assume for a moment that it is, because uh, it sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, throw in some of that extra value that we just talked about. And if you're close to cost parity, already, then using this new business model, that value might tip you over into, into adoption much, much quicker than you might otherwise. I don't know. Your thoughts? Yeah, no. It's surely an interesting uh, an interesting topic, an interesting area. Um, you know, when new technologies become available, that always spur this, you know, innovative process on the business side. It's like, hey, what is the business model with this new technology? And, and one thing to keep in mind with electric vehicles is that electric vehicles are highly efficient. So efficiency is a key element here. Uh, electric vehicles cost more to purchase than a, than a diesel or a gasoline vehicle, right? The, the, the battery is, is expensive, but then they cost a lot less to operate, right? The maintenance is much lower. The, the fueling cost is much lower because they are so efficient. And that's where, where the business model can, can really change. And, and utilizing one of those highly efficient vehicles as much as possible uh, really taps into those, those those value streams and can really provide for, for a better business model. Um, so, so surely my, my perspective, at least personally, is that as we're going to see more and more electrification, you will see these opportunities come come up. You will see these companies starting to to propose these new business models, and and they remain to be seen how successful they're going to be, and how they're going to manage the complexity of you know meeting the fleet's needs uh, while while also generating additional revenue. But but electric vehicles do offer this this new opportunity given their their really high efficiency and their low cost low, low operation cost that that can really change how how fleets operate and how we move freight uh, in the country. Well, this next question is a wrinkle on the business model uh, question I asked previously. And there seems to be a model emerging about with regional hubs. So you use the diesel trucks, the class eight diesel trucks to haul long distances. You unload in the regional hub in the, in the warehouse and then electric vehicles, and they could be class eight uh, trucks from, from the regional hub, but they have, they have much shorter routes they're very predictable. 
it's easy for fleet managers to plan out, you know, exactly the type of, of vehicle that is is best suited for that route. Uh, and and then and that so that you get all of the benefits on a regional basis uh, of using electric. Uh, but you still, for those difficult long hauls, you you rely on the existing technology. Uh, did that show up in your in your report? So that that's a really interesting point. We we do look at different applications and different use cases, and so vehicles that are typically operated for shorter distances, or they might be smaller vehicles. We really see you know battery electric vehicles uh, shining, if you will, early on. You know that those those uh, applications becoming cost competitive. You know maybe in the late twenty twenties, uh, early twenty thirties, and 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 you're right. You know currently. You know, when you have a diesel truck or a gasoline truck, you don't really, range isn't really a thing, right? It's not something that you really think about. You know, you have your vehicle and you just use it. So so we, we do imagine uh, more differentiation in the future where you target different vehicles for different applications. I'll also add that what we have seen is that for those long haul uh, applications, and especially those vehicles that maybe have team drivers and drive, you know, 200,000, 300,000 miles a year, very heavy usage. That's where we really see the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle uh, shining. Um, you know, the faster refueling time, the longer range, you know, they, they are similar from that perspective to to to, uh, to diesel trucks. And so can re- they can replace those vehicles better uh, than the battery electric vehicles while still offering improved efficiency, while still offering zero emissions. And so that, that's a very key element. And when you were saying the word hubs, uh, you know that, that made me think of the hydrogen hubs that the Department of Energy is really pushing for and, and, and really tied to, to kickstart and untap the markets for hydrogen in, in, in specific location. We do see that the two technologies can complement each other and cover different spaces within the medium and heavy duty vehicle uh, sector. Well, now, uh, speaking of that, um, what about the uh, influence of the Inflation Reduction Act? Because uh, your report was completed earlier in 2022. So the Inflation Reduction Act hadn't been passed at that time. So it's $369 billion. uh, And there's a lot of money in there to electrify transportation, whether it's battery or or fuel cell. And uh, given uh, that new money, which is meant to speed adoption and, and speed up building infrastructure, what do you think, you know, that will, the impact that that will have on the conclusions from your report? Yeah, so, so the report was, was, uh done before IRA was passed, uh, but, but both IRA and bill combined are really are historic and unique investments in the clean energy space that are really changing things in major ways. Uh, we, we, you know, there are incentives in IRA for some of these clean vehicles, for example, and that's really going to help bridge that gap where, you know, you maybe you are close to cost parity, but not quite there, or, or, or maybe you are at cost parity on a lifetime perspective, but there is a number of years that you need to wait before you can recoup your investment, right? Because again, these vehicles might cost a little bit more to purchase, but then you save on operation. And not every company has that, that that opportunity to make maybe make that initial investment, and so it's really gonna help on the demand side uh, to promote and support these vehicles. It's so important here to, to to remember that both in Bill and IRA there are significant investment in infrastructure, and that's critical. If you can't charge a vehicle, guess what? You're not gonna buy a vehicle because you can't charge it, and so that that's absolutely critical. There are critical investments in cleaning up the grid because that's another important point. We want to use electricity in this 
this vehicles and we want to make our electric grid clean uh, or cleaner than it is today. Um, so that, that's also really important. And, and the last aspect that we shouldn't forget, we talked a lot about demand and, and uh, what we are seeing, for example, right now in light duty vehicle, the demand for EVs is outpacing the supply. Right, you know, if you wanted to buy an electric vehicles today and you went to a dealers, they would they would tell you like you have to wait months or years before you can even get one. Um, so there are major investments on supply chains to make sure that we can manufacture the vehicles uh, that 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 we need to su to support uh, that level of demand. And so so keeping that that three elements, you know, the demand, the supply, and the infrastructure in balance and make the right investment is really is really the work of art, I think, out of Bill and IRA. <laughs> sure, fair enough. And uh, no doubt there will be missteps and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, things will not work out as they as we expect, because uh, I've reached an age now where I've learned that life does not proceed in a straight line. And that is doubly true when government policy is involved. And that's fine. That's we should build those expectations into, you know, government policy and, and, and other uh, maybe into reports now that I think about it. Look, um, let's talk about the report itself, and maybe can you give us an idea about timelines here? You know, market shares uh, for medium and heavy duty trucks, maybe twenty by twenty thirty, twenty fifth, twenty thirty five, twenty fifty. Have you got the, that data at your fingertips, maybe? Yeah, I'll share some insights here. Again, here we looked at what sales will look like for zero emission vehicles in, in the medium and heavy duty vehicle space, assuming that, that our uh, Department of Energy goals were to be achieved. And what we see is that by 2030, so, so about uh, seven years from now, because we're almost at the end of 2022, we see that about 40% of sales could be zero emission vehicles uh, if sales were only driven by economics, right? So not considering additional value stream, not considering any incentives, uh, but, but about 40% of the market would be, would be there in terms of like, oh, it's more convenient to buy an electric or hydrogen vehicles than buying a diesel truck. And then we see that number really ramping up over time uh, and, and to, to the point that, you know, in the 2040s, we, we reach 100% of the market. At the point, zero emission vehicles are just the cheapest option throughout the entire space. And this ranges from, you know, maybe small-ish uh, pickup truck, like, you know, a class class uh, class three pickup, pickup truck that, that is used for, for commercial vehicles or, or a delivery van, all the way to a semi-truck class eight, you know, 18-wheelers that drive two, 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 two to 300,000 miles a year. Um, and so so it's, it's really important to, to put this number in context, you know, uh, it, it seems a very long time, but when we reflect back on what happened 20 years ago, you know, 2002 isn't that, that far away and, and we were selling only diesel vehicles. And, and guess what? Today, we're still selling only diesel vehicles. So it's really a pivotal uh, moment and a pivotal point for the industry where this transition is now, we think, we think could unravel over the next couple of decades. Uh, a couple of observations here. Um... There are a couple. There's some segments that we haven't talked about. I think you, you mentioned uh, school buses, uh, lots and lots of interest in from schools in electric school buses uh, for a whole variety of reasons, uh, cost being one of them, but also uh, safety and uh, and the health of uh, of their passengers are our little ones. Uh, so that would be one. Uh, one that I've done a lot of work on in Canada you know, a lot of interviews with, with uh, stakeholders is, is public transit. So primarily, you know, buses. And there's a lot of interest in this, 
because, you know, on the cost basis, uh, public transit systems are very expensive. And the idea of, you know, lowering operating costs and, and maintenance and repair costs uh, is very attractive. Uh, but there's another angle to this, and this maybe gets to the value proposition that we talked about as opposed to the economics. And that is the ability to bring in custom, uh, no, niche uh, uh, vehicles, electric vehicles like shuttles, you know, automated sh autonomous shuttles uh, or robo taxis that work well with, you know, public transit systems. Those sorts of technologies, you, it, it, adds a dimension to the transportation local transportation systems that we have not had to date the, the more flexibility uh lower cost cleaner uh you know if you had a if you had a, a, a fleet of mini shuttles uh that you know covered an area and you could just call it up on your on your app and uh this one goes to the airport great i'm going to get on with eight other people but it's going to come right to my door and all their doors i guess and uh rather than taking the bus and you know taking two hours to get to the airport that kind of convenience that kind of lower and presumably lower cost uh has a lot to do with why uh transit agencies and municipalities are electrifying fleets and i wonder if that you know, was considered in your report at all? That, that is not something that we looked at in this in this specific report, but we do see a lot of interest in, in, you know, what we call connectivity and automation and how can really, we can leverage those technologies to improve the services that we provide to consumers. Because I ultimately, you know, buses are there to provide a service to consumers and if we can provide a better service, that's 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 a great outcome. Uh, so, so we have seen a lot of interest in, you know, as you were saying, maybe smaller uh, vehicles that are more targeted and and that you could, you know, maybe someone with, with an app and, and a flexible routes uh, and flexible timing. And, and some of the things that, that uh, I'll mention here, again, we, we didn't look in, into this in this report, but you know, those technology usually go hand in hand with electrification. Um, you know, it's it's usually you know those autonomous connected and electric vehicles is what what get rolls out at the same time. And remember what we were discussing earlier. You know, if you have this system and now you optimize the, the use of these vehicles, you, you might be using those vehicles more, right? You might be driving those more. And, and again, the higher efficiency of electric vehicles really come in handy there where like, you know, the lower operating costs make that possible and made it actually an advantage. Uh, so so um, again, we haven't looked too much into the in, into into those details here, but but there are surely tremendous opportunities to to now exploit this opportunity when we are converting to a new technology to fundamentally improve the services that we provide to to uh, to customers. That's a really good point. And, and it's actually a great point on which to end our, our, uh, our conversation. And that is that, and I hear this for all the time from environmentalists, you know, well, electric vehicles aren't going to do anything if all we're doing is substituting one, uh, one electric car for one internal combustion engine car. But that's the beauty of electric, is it? Is it empowers so many other uh, technology uh, options that after once you get enough of them into the system, that in fact you've transformed the system, you've transformed your transportation system into something that's very different than, than what came before, that at a lower cost with greater you know convenience and value to the consumers. And and you've got something that's so much better, and not to mention cleaner and, and zero zero emissions, 
and and it's that potential, that promise uh, that we're beginning to see on the medium and heavy duty side, uh, not quite as advanced, perhaps on the light duty side. But would you agree that th- that that is something you know we don't talk about enough? We we often we're just talking about it as if it's you know it's a one to one substitution and and that's the end of it. Well, I, I feel there are two important things to keep in mind here. One, even on a one-on-one substitution, what we're seeing is that electric vehicles are definitely a lot cleaner uh, than than conventional vehicle powered by fossil fuels, right? So, so for a light-duty vehicle today, is about fifty percent cleaner uh, compared to um, compared to a to a gasoline vehicle, and that includes the entire life cycle. You know, producing the vehicles, producing the battery, the whole supply chain. So, so there are major improvements in um, in emissions, and there could be major improvement in cost too. And affordability is really important as well. So it's not it's not just emissions. So, so they can be cleaner, they can be cheaper. Uh, and so, so if, from my perspective, even a one to one replacement, if I can get something that's cleaner and cheaper, it's already a win situation. Now, can we make a win win situation? Yes. I think we can. And again, as we were saying, these technological changes can really spur changes in the business model, changes in the way that the vehicles are operated, you know, new connectivity and automation solutions that can improve the way that we use our system, the way that our logistics for freight are operated, that enable to do better than a one-on-one replacement and so so provide even more advantages but but i wouldn't dismiss even just a one-on-one replacement as as not being good i mean it is still a pretty major improvement compared to what we have today yeah i would i would have to agree with that argument and and the interesting thing about this for me is that we uh uh so much has happened in this space in the last two or three years uh, major advantage advantages, and I think I don't know if it was the pandemic, but I, you know, I have enough interviewees telling me that the pandemic was a major shock to their to their industry and really kicked off, uh, you know, change and and uh, and disruption uh, in their in their industry, and so I suspect that that's some of it here as well, uh, and. But we're at the very beginning with this sector. And so I'm going to be watching with with great interest because I, I I was looking at some data the other day and, you know, gasoline consumption in the United States peaked a number of uh, several years ago. Diesel is forecast to peak in the next one or two years. So as the fleets electrify, there's going to be a big shock to oil companies who were just kind of expecting that you know we'd have a nice gradual transition uh, away from oil might take decades. I think it's going to come a lot quicker because when you combine the electrification of light duty, medium duty, and heavy duty, that's a big you know that's a lot of consumption in the uh, in the transportation sector. So Mateo, thank you very much for this. Really appreciate your insights. This is very interesting, and I'll post a link to your uh, to your report in the show notes so that anybody who wants to to read it can find it easily. And uh, with any luck in the next year or two, we'll have you back with more observations. Well, thank you for having me, Markham. It was it was a pleasure to talk to you and, and to, uh, to the listeners here. And sure, please check out our studies, check out our reports. And if you have questions or suggestions, do not hesitate to reach out to us. And next time I'm in Golden, I will definitely drop by the, the lab with uh, and have a we'll have a chat and a coffee. Absolutely. We'd love to have you here. Okay. Take care. Have a good day.